Well, today is the fourth Sunday of Advent, and that means Christmas is almost here. Are you ready? I've had so many people ask me that recently. Are you ready for Christmas? And then they see my face and immediately regret asking the question, how about you? Are you ready? Ready in what way? Am I prepared? Am I equipped? Is the shopping done? How about the decorating? Is the house clean? What, what day is it now? No, I'm not ready. This is a totally different experience of preparing for Christmas than the one I had as a child. My earliest memories of getting ready for Christmas were tied to the Advent wreath, a giant countdown clock to Christmas, and it even included fire, which, as we saw, is very exciting to young children. What more could you ask or want as a young boy? Well, Legos, for one. Transformers, an easy bake oven. (laughs) Santa never caught on to that one. Point is, when I was a child, the closer we got to Christmas, the more I was filled with anticipation and excitement. Each week, as another Advent candle was lit, that was another week gone, that much less time to wait. Now, another week gone, and it's not anticipation I'm feeling, it's dread and panic. Oh my gosh, there is so much left to do. The house, Lord have mercy, the house. (laughs) Guys, our dishwasher has been broken for eight weeks. (laughs) Think about the sink. Half that time we spent waiting for a technician to come out to our house to look at the broken dishwasher to say... Yep, it's broken. And the other half was spent waiting for the new dishwasher to be delivered. And we did finally get one on Friday. And friends, it is glorious. (laughs) You know what? I think I just realized that the kind of childhood hope I had toward Christmas has now been expressed toward a dishwasher. (laughs) That is adulthood right there. What kind of hope are we supposed to have right now, as we're only three days from Christmas? I was on thesaurus.com the other day, as I typically am, trying to explore the meaning of the word hope by exploring its synonyms. And if you're trying to find the right word right now for the kind of person who takes special pleasure in exploring thesaurus.com, I've taken the liberty of identifying several options. Insufferable. Humdrum dull as dishwater, a bit much, and enough already. Well, this week, I found that thesaurus.com includes both expectation and anticipation as synonyms for hope. And this struck me because expectation and anticipation are two very different things. Anticipation involves a forward-looking openness toward a coming event. It doesn't predetermine what exactly will be exciting about it. It's just excited. Expectation, on the other hand, involves quite a bit of predetermination about how something is supposed to happen. As author Anne Lamott has put it, expectations are resentments waiting to happen. (laughs) Or as I've seen written in popular psychology, expectation is premeditated resentment. 
consider the difference between expectation and anticipation when it comes to waiting to open those Christmas presents under the tree or waiting to see the newest Star Wars movie. Anticipation is eager to discover what's there. Expectation, on the other hand, has decided what should be there and has probably already begun thinking about how to react if it's not. Which of these bears closer resemblance to hope? If our scripture readings today are any indication of how to have hope in this season, I'm leaning more toward anticipation rather than expectation. Mostly because as both Mary and Joseph hear the news that the first Christmas is coming, the angel has to tell them both, do not be afraid. That's what you say when you know you didn't get the Christmas present your spouse was expecting. When you know as they open this present, it's going to require some open-mindedness and trust that it's going to be a good thing. Do not be afraid. The fact that the angel has to say this tells me that in order to understand how to hope, we need to think about fear. Fear is a kind of expectation. It's a predetermined outlook, a mix of feeling, instinct, and choice about how to engage with our world. For Joseph and Mary, why did the angel begin with, do not be afraid? What were they afraid of? In a word, scandal. Scandal is a word we don't usually associate with the Christmas story. Scandals are not really on brand for Hallmark cards or TV holiday specials or Charlie Brown. Scandals might sell news, but they don't sell toys or decorations. However much we've gotten used to Christmas as a normal thing, Christmas tells the story of what theologians have long spoken of as the scandal of the incarnation. What is so scandalous about God becoming flesh, God with skin on? What's scandalous about Christmas? A whole bunch of things. As it turns out, when you say God became human, it kind of scandalizes a lot of our ideas about what God is like. But there's one scandal in particular that both Luke and Matthew seem preoccupied with, the scandal of the virgin birth. Our scriptures give, give us these beautiful lines, be it unto me according to your word, and God is with us, and do not be afraid. But somehow, I imagine there was another conversation, not reported here, that probably went something like, I'm pregnant, and who's the father? And really, are you sure? We can't talk about Christmas, we can't talk about our God without talking about something scandalous. Something scandalous both for ancient culture and for our culture today. It went unspoken up here, right? Reproductive biology. And a child born into, let's say, a non-traditional family system. As it turns out, while we might have expected God of all people to go the traditional route, Christmas is not a traditional story, but a scandalous one. 
According to Luke, when the angel delivers the news to Mary that she will conceive and bear a son, she asks, how can this be? And by the way, good luck to all the parents out there who are telling their kids the Christmas story this year and trying to avoid that question, where do babies come from? The gospel pushes us into this conversation because the good news of Christmas is about a hope of salvation for this real world, not a galaxy far, far away. Christmas is about the Holy Spirit working with real people who have real lives and real bodies. Mary asks the question you or I would ask in that situation. Maybe not me so much, but you get the idea, right? She asks what a lot of people ask about this article of faith that we call the virgin birth. How can this be? Translation, this is impossible. It's a scandal of possibility. Now, the holy mystery here is not simply that a virgin conceived, but that the Holy Spirit opens up what we think is possible in our lives. And again, not simply by breaking the laws of physics or physiology, but by breaking the law of fear. Do not be afraid, the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Fear limits what we think is possible for God to do in our lives. Fear tells us that we have no role to play in what God is doing to save this world, that there is nothing we can do. Fear keeps us from believing that God has a good future for us and for this world. Fear is an expectation that kills hope. Do not be afraid, says the angel. This is the freeing word to Mary, this young girl that gives her hope against all the odds, telling her, yes, God does have a future for you, and yes, you can do something. The person who sings Mary's song has been hoping for God to step into this world and do something to put it back on track. Mary's song is full of big hope about the powerful being brought down from their thrones, the downcast being lifted up, the hungry being filled with good things. Mary is full of hope for the daunting issues of poverty and justice. And it's exactly these that can seem so impossible for us, little us, to do anything about. Sometimes the hardest thing to believe could be possible, is that you can do something to save the world. And this is the first part of the scandal of the incarnation. In the face of what we think is possible, Christmas hope tells us, yes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do something. You can be part of this. Salvation can be born within you. Don't be afraid, for nothing will be impossible with God. What's the salvation your heart has been longing for this year that you haven't had the courage or faith to believe you could do something about? What has seemed too big, too outlandish for you, little you, to tackle? Take Mary as your example. God loves working with the underdog.
Don't be scandalized by what's possible, what's expected. If the Spirit is leading you to believe something holy and good can come into this world through you, don't be afraid. Say yes. That being said, when you say yes to this kind of movement of the Holy Spirit, to this Christmas hope, there are real-world consequences. In real life, what happens when someone who says they're a virgin is found to be with child? The scandal of what's possible becomes a scandal of what's righteous. Scandal in the traditional sense of that term, surrounded with shame, accusations of integrity. This doesn't really come up in the Gospel of Luke, where Mary just asks, is this possible? And the angel's like, it's possible. Okay. But in the Gospel of Matthew, the main focus of the Christmas story is not the scandal of possibility, but the scandal of righteousness. If Luke made us think about the way our bodies and our lives, however unlikely or unexpected, can be the place where God brings hope and salvation into this world, Matthew shows us that agreeing to be part of that is going to risk doing something that's going to make your family and the neighbors talk about it. In Matthew, the Christmas story is played out from Joseph's perspective as opposed to Mary's. And when she is found to be with child, Joseph knows he's not the baby daddy. What we need to understand about this situation is that there's no way Joseph is the only person who knows Mary is pregnant. Scripture tells us that when Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child. In ancient Jewish culture, this stage of engagement before living together is a formal, year-long stage on the way to marriage, during which time Mary would have been living in her parents' house. So if word gets to Joseph that Mary is with child, her family already knows. The reason this is important is because Joseph's righteous idea to dismiss Mary quietly instead of exposing her to public disgrace isn't going to keep anything quiet. Mary's family already knows, and even if Joseph gets to walk away with his own righteousness intact, Mary is still left with an increasingly public fact, a growing belly and a child soon to appear. And if Nazareth is anything like a small town, the scandal of this less than traditional pregnancy will follow Mary all the days of her life. Joseph's temptation to dismiss Mary comes from his expectation of what righteousness is supposed to look like. Mary is with child. Joseph is not the father. According to Mosaic law, Joseph is well within his legal rights to dismiss Mary for her apparent infidelity. The law actually demands that she be stoned. Joseph's idea to dismiss Mary quietly instead of pursuing the full and lethal extent of the law suggests a humane compassion in Joseph. But let's not forget that this course of action, while compassionate, would only protect Joseph's own righteousness. It would not, in the end, protect Mary, who, no matter what happens, will be left holding the bag, in this case, a baby. We could debate the morality of all that, but what strikes me is that what Joseph expected was the righteous thing turned out to be exactly wrong. 
This is what the angel reveals to him in the dream, and which begins with the words, do not be afraid. Let go of your expectation of what's righteous and open yourself to the righteousness God is about to reveal. Theologian Thomas Long writes in his commentary on Matthew's gospel, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and reveals to Joseph that what, ha- what appears to him to be a moral outrage is in fact a holy disruption. The child in Mary's womb is not a violation of God's will, but an expression of it, a gift of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, in his righteousness, sees Mary with her child as a scandal. But the angel disrupts Joseph's expectations with a new thing begotten from the very heart of God. The Lord says to Isaiah, Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? This is the new thing the Holy Spirit is doing, scandalously breaking open the limits of our perception. Not only the limits of what we thought was possible, but the limits of what we thought was right. As Thomas Long puts it, Joseph becomes the model for the Christian life. He learns that being truly righteous does not mean looking up a rule in a book and then doing the right thing, or for that matter, conceding to the social or cultural pressure of what's proper or expected. It means wrestling with the complexities of a problem, listening for the voice of God, and then doing God's thing. To be a faithful disciple means prayerfully seeking to discover what God is doing in the difficult situations we face. So this is the right thing to do for Joseph, not to run away from the scandal, but to run toward it. Now, on one level, this must be a relief to Joseph, the righteous man. Taking Mary as his wife will be the righteous thing to do. But it will still be a scandal. And he still needs to hear those words of the angel, do not be afraid. Because the other people who are aware of Mary's delicate situation We have no reason to believe that God's just given out angelic visions in the night. Turns out that what Joseph perceived to be the righteous thing to do to dismiss Mary would have been unrighteous. But what ends up being the righteous thing to do to marry her will still be perceived as unrighteous. People always do the math. We do it all the time when a baby is born within the year of the wedding date, counting back almost nine months ago. The choice facing Joseph is not simply a question of whether or not to save Mary from the shame of scandal, whether whether to let scandal follow Mary all the days of her life. The question for Joseph is whether he will accept the scandal as his own and let it follow him all the days of his life too. Do not be afraid. These were the same words to Mary. For Joseph, fear would cast Mary aside in the name of righteousness, leaving an unwed, pregnant teen alone and unsupported in a world that will hate her for it. Do not be afraid. Receive this scandal 
and the scandal's name will be Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins, not by quietly dismissing them, but by bearing it with them and for them, accepting our scandal as his own. Do not be afraid this Christmas, but hope instead in a new righteousness built on the foundation of love, peace, and joy, however scandalous it might be. Hope that nothing is impossible for God. Learn Christmas hope from Joseph and from Mary. Mary reminds us that sometimes the hardest thing to believe is possible, that you can do something to save the world. And Joseph shows us that sometimes saving the world means casting aside not people, but expectation and fear of scandal. As daunting as it may sound, sometimes all it takes to save the world is to love the person right in front of you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.